Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I'm just finishing episode 19 of my Lessons from Loss podcast. And who are you talking to this week? Kath Allen. And what's her story? Well, she talks about losing her identity with a change of career and the power of small actions. Is there a small porcupine in this episode? A very tiny one. You have to listen really closely. Let's have a listen. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest about their experience. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their stories, and of course the impact of hearing these stories that may have on you, the listener. Please look after yourself and reach out for support if you need to. This episode, I'm chatting to Kath Allen, a wellbeing and leadership coach. She helps mums who care about the planet to make change without burning out. In March 2020, as the country was going into lockdown, Kath's long-term contract came to an end and she realised that she was losing and lost her identity. If not that, then who was she? So welcome along, Kath. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, because on the face of it, a contract, a a contract coming to its planned end is, you know, an an everyday occurrence. However, when your identity is attached to something like that, it can so often then lead to a sort of a deep internal sense of of loss and, and unknowing about who or what you actually are. And without that firm sense of identity, of course, it's difficult to then see a direction or or perhaps have a sense of purpose. So maybe we can begin with what was going on for you in March 2020 and how how it impacted you. Yeah, absolutely. So I really resonate with what what you're saying there. It, It was kind of a gradual unfolding rather than a, a kind of hard endpoint, because I, I knew that my contract was ending. So I was on a, a fixed term contract, as many academics are, and I've been on several of those. And I kind of knew that this was going to be the last one. You know, I'd been an academic for 15 plus years, and always kind of known that it wasn't really the right career for me, but not really known what else to do. Um, but I had at that point recently done some training and decided I was going to start a business. And so I knew that this was going to be the end of my academic career at that point. I was going to leave academia and do something different, which I'd wanted to do for a long time. Um, but I, of course, didn't realise that I was going to be doing that at the outset of a pandemic (laughs) and, um, all the challenges that that brought at a family level and a personal level, as well as a global level. Um, so it was just a really difficult but interesting time. And there was this kind of slow unfolding of, yeah, as you say, well, if I'm not that, then, you know, what am I? What, you know, how do you describe yourself even? Because it's such a, you know, prominent part of how we describe ourselves when we meet somebody new, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's often the first, if not the first or the, the second question that gets asked, isn't it, that people are interested exactly. in. Yeah. And I guess it's also, you know, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, that's that is how 
we can tend to, I suppose, make our first kind of judgments about people as well, isn't it? About how, what, what they do for a job or, or where they live or, or something like that. So, yeah. yeah, so there was a lot going on in March 2020 for you then, as you say, amidst all the, the, uh, the upheaval and the, the confusion and the unknowing about what life was going to be like in this, this pandemic and, and national lockdown. Yeah. And I also had pneumonia. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I was really very stressed. Um, you know, having thought that I was kind of taper my academic work down and kind of build up my business, you know, and overlap them. Of course, that was perhaps a little bit naive because, you know, towards the end of a contract, you obviously get busier, not less busy. And and so I was actually really quite stressed. And, uh, you know, for years before that, whenever I'd gone through periods of stress, I would usually get some kind of respiratory illness. I was quite prone to those. And this time it turned into pneumonia. So I was also quite ill. <laughs> um, oh, bless you. Crikey. And that, yeah. you know, and, and the fact that we were, you know, in the middle of a pandemic of a respiratory based virus must have been, you know, added to that worry and stress for you yeah, as really well. Scary. Yeah. yeah, and I still to this day don't really know. I mean, it could have been COVID because there were no tests for it at that time. But I think it was a little bit early and probably was just a stress kind of response to a, a virus, a different virus. But yeah, it was it was certainly a worry, um, obviously, with the, the, the pandemic sort of taking off at the same time. So, yeah, it was a, a difficult month in lots of ways. So how what was the sort of the biggest impact for you with all of this going on? I think at the time, you know, I was quite actually quite glad that the contract at the university had ended and I didn't have the pressure of being expected to to generate work for, for somebody else because it, I was recovering from this illness and also there was a lot of anxiety around, you know, being somebody who's prone to respiratory illnesses, there's a respiratory uh, pandemic going on. My daughter was very anxious, which was meant that we weren't often getting a lot of sleep and things like that. So I think the impact, the biggest impact at that time was actually the, the pandemic and how that played out through each of our lives and, and the, the loss of the contract sort of paled into insignificance for a while really, which I think is why it was a kind of slow process of realizing the effect that it had had on me because other things had sort of taken over for a while. At what point did you begin to sort of realize that that the you know the loss of the contract and and perhaps not being quite sure where you were he- I mean was it a case that you weren't sure where you were headed next because you said you were you were in the process of setting up a, a business yeah so I knew what I was planning to do so during my last contract at the university I was moving more moving away from a kind of scientific focus and more into a communication sort of focus and outreach focus talking to um, the community and and various stakeholders about science and its application. And I had the opportunity to train as a coach. And at the time I thought it was gonna be another skill to add to my communications tool belt, but soon realized that actually this was where I I wanted to, this is what I wanted to be doing. Um, So I decided to to start a coaching business. Um, So I kind of knew what I wanted to achieve, but what and it was probably when I started to focus on that you know when the the initial wave of anxiety around the pandemic started to subside and we started to get back to a bit more normality 
like, right, let's focus now on building more of the business. And then it started to experience that loss of this part of my identity. You know, I, I was an academic, I was a, an ecologist, you know, and what am I now? You know, um, I am a coach, but it still felt that those parts of my identity were such a defining part for such a long time. I wasn't really ready to let them go. If that makes sense, even though I really wanted to let go of the day to day of the job, those more defining kind of concepts were such an ingrained part of who I was. I didn't want to let them go. Did you know with the coaching that you wanted to take it down that sort of ecological type route? No. And I think that's what's really helped. You know, that's become a more integrated part of my coaching practice as I've gone on. Uh, and that's what's really helped is, and that's what my coach helped me to see was that even though I'm stepping away from academia, I still have all of that ecological background. You know, that's always going to be a part of who I am. I'm not just de deleting that knowledge, you know, overnight. So as I've worked to build my business and now, you know, I work with uh, women mainly who are in an ecological or an environmental profession, that's really helped me to kind of gel together those two aspects of of my career if you like and that's actually made it a lot easier but i think at the time you know when you say to people i'm an academic that's kind of something that that not everyone but most people can immediately ident identify mm -hmm. and it's kind of a worthwhile career you know i was uh, on you know making a difference i was doing something you know which i considered to be important and those things were were hard to let go of when I didn't know how well the business was going to go. I didn't know if I could make a success of it. I didn't know what it would feel like to be making a difference in this new way. I just kind of knew that the, what I was doing before was not was not right for me. So it was just a difficult shift to make into the unknown, I think. And it was coaching that helped you make that being coached yourself helped. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't have done any of it without having had a coach. I would have been, it was always the problem that I knew academia wasn't the right place for me, but I just did not know what else to do because I'd been there my whole career. You know, I, even at the same university, I'd always been at the same university, which is quite unusual for academics. And the academic career path is quite defined. I think it's getting better now, but it, it used to be the case that, you know, once you did a PhD, you were basically considered to be on the track towards becoming a lecturer and then a professor. And if you didn't do that, it was kind of seen as a bit of a failure. Quite a defined path to success by cert certain standards, not necessarily my standards, but the, the sort of generally um, accepted standards. Yeah, so to kind of break away from that and figure out something else when all I'd ever really known career-wise was that. It's quite, you can sort of feel like you're not really qualified for anything else because what you do is so specialised and niche that you, you sort of forget that you have other skills, <laughs> yeah, more generic yeah. skills. And I suppose in just walk, having the, being seen to have that, that courage to, to walk away from what is then a, you know, a fairly defined path. Did you have people who, 
you know, were your colleagues supportive of it? Were your sort of family and close friends supported or were they kind of questioning you walking away from what had sort of seemed like this was your your career path mapped out for you? I think there weren't any there wasn't anybody who was particularly unsupportive but I think a lot of people did think what on earth are you doing mm. <laughs> um you know and there were certain people who kept saying well what about if you did this in academia or maybe you could do that or maybe you could go part-time you know I was already part-time but you know almost trying to encourage me not to give it up but I'd been trying for you know quite a long time to kind of make myself a little niche inside the academic world and it it hadn't really worked out the way that I wanted it to so I knew a clean break was what I was looking for um but yeah there were lots of people who were very supportive particularly the community who I'm now a part of and you're a part of that yeah. you know well, where there are lots of coaches and lots of women who I think get to maybe my age have a couple of kids and then go hmm I maybe want to do something different with my life yeah. Um, and often the women that I coach are in a similar situation. So, yes, lots of people were very supportive and other people were just a bit fearful, I think, about what I was giving up because on the surface of it, it is a very, you know, high kind of profile, worthwhile career and respectable. And, you know, nobody really knows what a life coach does. And is it some kind of weird guru type thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I th fortunately, I think it is becoming far more mainstream now. So people are more aware. But yeah, I mean, having I, I trained as a coach um, oh, probably about eight or nine years ago and and yeah, I came up with that same. It was almost an internal resistance that it was almost like, well, you know, I'm not really you know, I, I know it's a very worthwhile thing to do and you can really, really help people doing it. But there was just something about it that it it kind of just felt a bit wishy washy from the outside almost kind of yeah as you say well what does a life coach do sort of thing so I suppose there's just been that shift then from working in academia with the presumably doing sort of research into whatever the the ecology topics you were you were working on to then I suppose using that knowledge and then going out and helping people or helping women particularly sort of integrate that into their lives is that sort of what where that shift has has happened yeah so I think there are some the reason why I decided to work with um people in the environmental sector is I think there are some some specific and kind of maybe unique challenges that go along with that you know being an ecologist I mean my topic was wildlife conservation habitat conservation so you, you know you're facing loss every day you know there's no kind of good news really it's quite a depressing um topic to study because all we're doing is looking at how much has been lost mm. how much is still being lost what we can do to mitigate what's being lost and and yes you you do feel like you're making a difference but the focus of it is loss right and that's can be really hard to yeah. bear sometimes and and you see things in the news and very occasionally the public will kind of have a, a reaction to that and you think gosh you know that's the tip of the iceberg and it's it's really can be quite a painful and kind of lonely place to be because lots of people either don't want to talk about it or are completely unaware of the scale of what we're facing so i think 
what I help people with now and what coaching has helped me with is dealing with that loss, really being able to to see that, to face that and to still find hope and to still find motivation to 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 work and to continue and to do the things that we do to make a difference, because if you get too far down that rabbit hole of loss, it can be paralyzing and it can be demotivating and, you know, you can end up and I did end up, you know, a couple of times in a place where I felt like, what's the point? You know, why, why am I doing this? It's just a drop in the, what I'm doing is a drop in the ocean. I can't make any difference, which of course isn't true, but it's about managing our emotions around that so that we can feel the grief and the, and the pain sometimes, but we can also redirect ourselves back towards hope and moving forwards. That's not all I do with my clients, but it is a, a part of it. Could you give one kind of thing that you might suggest to your clients to help them move from that direction of, oh, you know, I'm, as you say, I'm just, you know, a drop in the ocean. How can I make a difference to actually saying, yes, actually, I, I can do things that will make a difference? So the, the very first thing that I always suggest to people is that, they connect with some positive news. So there are some great organizations out there. There's actually one called Positive News, which I subscribe to. I highly recommend that. Yeah, they send me an email every Saturday morning with all these positive news stories. And that's really that's really helpful to remind ourselves that good things are happening. Mm. Um, and there's another one called Conservation Optimism, who have various social media accounts and do the same thing. They share conservation hope stories you know where things are actually going well and things have been successful so I think that's a really helpful and positive thing that we can all do is just remind ourselves that it's not all bad news and the other thing is to remember that we don't have to do it on our own you know when you get to that point of I'm just a drop in the ocean and I can't change anything well no none of us can change these big global issues whether it's conservation or anything else on our own but we're not on our own you know, there are hundreds of thousands of other people who care about the same things and we need to be connected to them. So joining communities, whether that's local communities um, or online communities where people have shared values, who are fighting for the same fight, you know, who can work together. We have much more power when we, you know, do whatever we do as a community, but also we can share the load. So when one person is is having some can't put the energy in there are other people to pick up the slack and we can all work together so i think that's really important to remember is that we're not we're not alone we're not do, trying to do it all alone um and when we connect in with others it makes a big difference yeah community can be so powerful people yeah. collaborating and and that's then when there's there can be these sort of changes visible changes occurring that that we can hold on to and give us more hope. Yeah. I wonder as well on a, you know, on an individual basis, I'm very interested in the environment and, and doing my bit. And, but sometimes I feel like if I can't do everything, is it then worth? So it's, it is sort of almost, it's very easy just to feel like, Oh, you know, this is just completely overwhelming because I've got to remember to sort all my rubbish and, and what can I recycle? And sometimes that can actually feel really, really overwhelming. 
um, when I've just got all these little things around the house. Of, oh, no, that's that's got to go in that bin because that's got to go to to the tip or that's got to go to the charity shop or that's got to go to the plastics recycling and and everything else. And sometimes that can just kind of feel really overwhelming and to the point that sometimes I just go oh, I can't, bother, can't be bothered with all of this it's, it's too much to deal with <laughs> so I guess that's perhaps where then community steps in or or maybe just knowing that hopefully that even just doing a little bit helps <laughs> please put yeah. my mind at rest it's worth doing <laughs> well not that it's worth doing I know it's worth doing but you know at those times when it just kind of feels quite overwhelming I mean, everything we can do is worth doing. And I think we don't, um, we often underestimate the power of small actions, especially if we talk about those actions. You know, one of the things that, you know, I often say is that the the kind of climate and environmental situation is one of the, the, the big taboos that we still have. You know, nobody really wants to talk about it. Um, so, but when we do, we inspire other people to do their small actions. And it's those ripple effects that can have you know, they'll have effects that we'll never know about because one person might tell another person might tell another person and that uh, that can make such a big difference. But also not making it something to beat yourself up about. If something goes in the wrong bin or you can't you know, get your fruit and veg from the marketplace this week and you have to get them all wrapped in plastic, whatever it is, then, then that's okay too because, you know, if we wear ourselves into the ground trying to be perfect then we're not we're not serving the people that we serve we're not making our difference in the world we're not going out and doing what we're here to do so we just have to be really gentle with ourselves and kind of accept that the way that the system around us is set up it's not actually it's not possible you know we can't live a an impact free life we just have to do what we can and then carry on making the difference that we're here to make. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And I guess encouraging others to do yeah. the same, where perhaps by leading by example and and telling people yeah. about what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for so long, I was doing all kinds of things at home and at work and just never, never really talking about them or, you know, all kinds of decisions that we made and, you know, choosing where we go on holiday, for example, and, and not really, not really sharing the reasons for that. And when I started sharing, no, we're not, you know, we're not choosing to fly this year, for example, because we want, you know, I want to cut our carbon, then other people going, oh, yeah, actually, I'm really worried about that, too. And you wouldn't know that if you didn't have the conversation, because mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about it. But it turns out when you talk about it, other people go, oh, yeah, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah, I think it's kind of being kind of being a leader in that respect of just sharing what's going on and giving other people permission to do the same. So do you feel now that you have either regained that sense of identity with the work that you do now, or if not regained it, got a new sense of identity? I think it's a work in progress. I think, I mean, and actually, I think it probably always will be. And I'm more okay with that now than I was at that time. You know, I don't define myself as an academic anymore um, or an ecologist. 
or a coach actually you know I, I, but the thing is is what do you say instead you know and I don't think I'm there yet if somebody says what do you do sometimes I will say you know I, I run a business or I'm a coach or you know I do x y and z but there are also so many other aspects to who we are and how do you kind of fit those then it's, it's kind of hard to know what to lead with you know if you could say well I'm a mum but that's also not all of who I am so it's quite a hard question to answer when you're trying not to answer with your occupation so it's something I'm still working on and interested in but I think I'm less attached to that that particular word you know or those those couple of words and I'm just enjoying exploring it a bit more rather than feeling I've lost something because I haven't actually lost anything I've still got all of those things that I had and that was what my coach really helped me to see was that I was taking all of those things with me it was just a word a definition or something that you say in conversation and actually all of those things about me are still true yeah what would you say has been the biggest thing that you've learned from all of this? I think I've just learned so much about how we how we define ourselves, you know, how um, how especially in our culture, I think it's different in other cultures. I don't really know, but how prevalent it is in conversation that we talk about our jobs. And, you know, when you have a purpose led job like I do, that's maybe more understandable but I think it's just part also part of our you know just how we talk you know we talk about the weather and we talk about what we do for a living <laughs> yeah so I think it's for me it's just been a, a kind of unlearning almost and starting to think more about how we do define ourselves and how we do making our own rules for success you know I had that academic career path kind of laid out for me and this is how you succeed well when I didn't have that anymore it's kind of now I have to make my own rules for success. And I think that's a really interesting route to explore. And I'm still on that route, but I've learned a lot about myself as, as part of that process. Yeah, the success, because of course, everybody has their own definition of what success is that they measure themselves by, but they also measure other people by as mm. well. So it's coming up with that, that new version of, of what success means to you yeah and you so being often, happy and content with that exactly because so often we've taken that definition from somebody else you mm. know somewhere else just a cultural get a house and 2.4 kids and you know there's good salary and whatever and then people get to a, a certain age and go hang on this is is this really what I wanted or you know maybe you don't get to get one of those things and then it's hard to feel that success. So I think it's, it's when you start to do this work and this is what I help a lot of my clients with, you start to do this work and think about, well, what is it that I want? What, do, what success do I want in life? And what is that going to look like? Which of those elements is important to me and which isn't? I'm intrigued to find out kind of what was your, what was your path to, deciding that you wanted to be a coach had you already received coaching or was it an area that you were you were just kind of aware of or had you just kind of fallen across the, the community that we that we're both part of what was your sort of journey to to thinking actually I'd like to do train to be a coach and be a coach so yeah so I first was coached 
so I've um, after I had my second child, I went back to work and found it really tough, just really exhausted, you know, really um, spread too thin, felt like I was failing at home, failing at work, just really not succeeding at all in any area. Um, and at that time, I came across this community and some of the programs that they offer, and I signed up for a, a program, which was a, a coaching program, a group coaching program. And through that, felt you know enormously better, and started to explore more about coaching. And because I again, you know, I'd always known that academia wasn't really the right place for me, and that, that was probably the start of the the separation from it for me, where I thought this is not now working for me. Not only was it not really the right place, but it was now actually really not working for me and my life and my two kids. So it was the beginning of the end probably. And having a coach was what helped me to put the steps in place to kind of look after myself, make sure I was okay, make sure, I, you know, my kids, my kids were fine anyway, but you know, make sure I was doing the things that I wanted to be doing, showing up how I wanted to show up at home and at work and to be able to plan a little bit for the future instead of feeling trapped in this career path that wasn't actually really working for me. So, yeah, so I was being coached for a while and then I had the opportunity to train as a coach. I thought, well, that's interesting because it's been so helpful for me. And as I said, I was going along this path towards more communications and outreach type work and thought, oh, coaching is a great communication tool. Um, and then, of course, once I started learning it, I thought, wow, this is really what I want to be doing. So it all, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yeah. But I think sometimes you kind of almost have to go for a certain length of time when things aren't going the way, when you, you instinctively feel things aren't going in the right, the right direction, but don't actually know the change that you want to make sometimes you kind of almost just have to stick with it for a little while in the hope that 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 thing will will show itself to you um, yeah absolutely and you, you kind of need to learn the strategies to look after yourself so mm. that when if and when you do move leave that career and do something different you don't just take the same bad habits with you because I wasn't looking after myself and I wasn't taking time for me and I, I was giving too much of my energy to other things and, and that was causing me to, you know, be exhausted and not be able to make good decisions and therefore not be able to plan. So, you know, if I hadn't had those foundation pieces in place, I could easily have started the business or done whatever else it was I decided to do and just taken all those bad habits with me. So I think that was that was really important. And just to, as you say, sit it out for a bit and just kind of wait and see what came along, building myself up to a point where I could make a good decision. And then it all came together at the right time to move on and do something else. And maybe if you'd taken that sort of different career path, but still with the the, the unhelpful habits that you had, that might have... You know, it might have been the right career path for you, but because you didn't have those good foundations in place, you may still have had that sense of this isn't really working for me. So, yeah, there's so many, so many things that you, the foundations that you need to put in place to underpin then the success of, of any direction that you go in. 
Yeah, I think that's the foundation of any successful career, you know, is is to have good boundaries around it and also mm. to have external interests and to be, you know, taking good care of yourself so that when you are within the boundaries of the work, that you're doing the absolute best you can be and then you come out of it and do something else. But what had happened for me was those boundaries had become completely blurred and I was doing work when I was at home and I was sorting out home stuff when I was at work and it was just one big mess of constant trying to do too much basically and that wasn't effective or productive and I was just getting more and more overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah, and those boundaries work not just for work as well, do they? You have to put them in place for for relationships, for parenting, for stuff that goes on outside of work as well. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all that with me. If women wanted to work with you, how could they get in contact with you? Oh, well, they can have a look at my LinkedIn profile. It's usually the best place to find me. I'm Kath Allen on there, um, or they can come over and join my Facebook group, which is called Together Mums Circle, or drop me an email. So if we wanted to leave our listeners with one final nugget of wisdom or word of advice, what, what might it be? I think it's about figuring out what those rules are for your success. You know, I don't think it's something that I'd ever really thought about. But going blindly along the career path is eventually, well, in my experience, is eventually going to result in a moment of, hang on, how did I get here? (laughs) So I think when we can actually take a step back and say, what is it that I really want? What what does success mean to me? And And then what I found was that I was just on the completely wrong trajectory to achieve that. And once I sorted that out, everything has felt so much easier actually you know a lot of the work I was doing before felt I could do it but it was hard whereas now I feel much more in flow life is just it's not easy but it's easier (laughs) yeah and it's all been about redefining success I really enjoyed this conversation about identity and success and how the lessons of dealing with the grief and sadness about the environment can be applied to other forms of loss and grief too. Thank you, Kath. Another rich conversation. If you'd like to work with Kath, please check out her details in the episode notes. Thank you to my supporters who helped me with the production of this podcast, Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and lastly, you, the listener, of course. Please share and subscribe and let me know if you found this helpful or it resonated. I'll be back soon with another lesson from loss.